like an, an outpatient surgery where you go in, you're out and home in two hours. This takes some time to happen. This takes some time. And your relationship with God is the same way. God is not always going to speak to you just because you want to hear His voice. Because God knows that hiddenness sometimes gets us farther than manifestation. And sometimes God makes you wait. Because waiting is healthy. You likely have wanted God to talk to you at some point in your life. You've prayed hard and listened for hours, but you just aren't getting the results you thought you would. In today's message, Pastor Daniel acknowledges this but wants to reassure you, God's always listening. Sometimes, though, God knows that not speaking is best. He knows that asking you to wait or even saying no might be exactly what you need. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 24 as he continues his message, Affirmation. So notice verse 8, Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord had made with you according to all of these words. So don't miss that. The Mosaic Covenant was still a covenant in blood. Now, before we move on, before we move on, I want to make a point because I think it's important because as you're studying the law, it's really easy to think that people got saved by keeping the law of Moses. And guess what? Nobody got saved keeping the law of Moses except for Jesus. And God never intended to save anybody with the keeping of the law of Moses. From Genesis to Revelation, God has always ever had one way of salvation, and that is through belief in his anointed one. Through belief in the anointed one. And before Jesus came, we knew his name was Jesus, and he was from Nazareth, and Mary was his mother, and and Joseph was his, his mother's husband, and all these things. People died hoping for God's mercy, trusting in God's provision, knowing that their good works were filthy rags to God. There's only ever been one way of salvation. Because it's interesting, the church loves that it's saved by grace, but often we want to we wanna meander back towards a works-based system, don't we? I get it all the time. People say, oh yeah, you know, I don't believe in Jesus, but you need to worship on Saturday, not Sunday, because God doesn't accept that. Or you need to make sure you get baptized with a special saying, or you need to make sure that you only hear the gospel in whatever language they value, or, 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 or. There's a part of us in our humanity that we need to have some skin in the game. And it's, listen, it's a lot easier to affix a couple of rules that we want. It's a lot easier to do that than say, God wants my whole life. And I'm a living sacrifice. My life is his. That's what God really wants. God doesn't want you just to say, okay, I'm going to do it this way. And Because now, I mean, the church, we're recovering our Jewish roots in, in this generation. But you get all sorts of people like, oh, yeah, you know, I keep kosher now. So I can be closer to God. It's like, well, no. Jesus gets you closer to God. You know? Or I like to do this thing or that thing. Or 
And don't get me wrong, I, I think it's, it's fun to experience that history. I'm not knocking it, but it has no salvific significance. That's a good one. You guys write that down. No salvific significance. That's a good one. You roll that out tomorrow at work and everyone will be like, okay. Do you have any creamer for the coffee? <laughs> Verse 9. Then Moses went up also, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 el- of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Now, this is interesting because verses 9 to 11 is what would commonly be called a covenantal meal. So very, very symbolic in Near Eastern culture in that day that when two people made a covenant together, that covenant was made with a sacrifice. Remember God and, and Abraham cutting the covenant where they made a sacrifice and they passed in between the two. And then they would sit down and have a ceremonial meal. But what's interesting about this ceremonial meal is that it says that they saw God, but notice they only talk about God's feet and what's under his feet. Because people want to say, oh, I thought no one's seen God in any time. But now it's saying that they saw God. But notice they only describe God's feet. And the implication in the Hebrew is that they never lifted up their eyes above what was under God's feet. And they noticed that it was sapphire, which was a deep blue. They said it was like the heavens, the sky. So don't miss that, that when the people of God came to make this and have this covenantal meal with God, they never lifted up their eyes. Why? Because God's so holy and he's so perfect that they weren't like, hey, Lord, what's up? You know, like, like, it's not my homeboy, Jesus. This is different because this is serious. This is the God of all creation, the infinite one of infinite knowledge, having a covenantal meal with finite people who are flawed and they never lift their eyes. And don't get me wrong, all through the Bible you find people who have different experiences of seeing God. Like remember, Moses like, I'll show me your glory. And God's like, look, I'll show you my hind parts. My, God's like, I'll show you my back. And that's in Exodus chapter 33. We'll get there. What's amazing is that Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration saw Jesus' essential glory turned outward. But other than that, no one has seen God in his fullness. No human can, except God became a man and walked among us. See, I love the way the Lord works, because God wants to be known. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. Because God knew that in his totality, we could not handle it. So God humbled himself and became a man. Isn't that what Jesus told Philip? He's like, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you imagine Philip being like, "Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, what a crazy statement. When you read the Gospels, be like, this is what God is like in a human body. Because it's easy to say Jesus is God-like, but it's hard to remember that God is Jesus-like. That the way Jesus lived and moved and carried himself in the world was the way God lives and moves and carries himself in the world. That's exactly what's going on there. But they're having this covenantal meal. That's what's going on here. 
Now, in verse 12, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose, verse 13, and his assistant Joshua And Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now, notice this. God calls Moses up. He says, look, I'm going to give you tablets of stone. So this is God is going to give him the tablets of the 10 words or the 10 commandments, those special, those unique of the commandments. Remember, we made the case, I've said it over and over again, that often people say, oh, there's 10 commandments. No, no, there's only the 10 big commandments that God wrote on tablets with his very finger. Actually, the law has 613 commandments. It's a lot more than just 10. But those 10 are unique because God wrote them with his own finger. And so God tells Moses, look, I want you to come on up and I'm going to give you these tablets I'm going to speak to you and I want you to talk to the people. Now notice what happens in verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua. Do you see that? Remember before I talked about apprenticeship? After Moses dies, who takes over leading the children of Israel? Joshua. Where did Joshua learn how to do the ministry? From Moses. We're we're going to find that eventually when the tabernacle gets set up, Moses is outside the camp. And who's hanging out there? Joshua. Joshua. Joshua was apprenticed by Moses. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of implications why Moses wasn't allowed to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, but Joshua was. I'll just throw you this, and then you can think about it. We'll get there later. Moses is quintessentially associated with the law. The law never brings anyone to the promised land. It only brings you to the border of the promised land. Who brings you to the promised land? Joshua. What's the Hebrew word for Joshua? Yeshua. What's the Greek word for Yeshua? Jesus. Don't think that's by chance either. The law never gets you into the promised land. It only brings you to the border because it's the schoolmaster. It's Joshua who gets charged with bringing people into the promised land. That's a, be- that's a beautiful picture in God's word for us. But Moses brings, God only says Moses come, Moses brings his assistant Joshua. And Joshua's going to learn the ways of God by hanging around with Moses as Moses hangs around with God. So once again, we come back to, once again, the need for apprenticeship, for discipleship, for inviting people to come along with you, to learn with you as you are fellowshipping with God and being used by him. Notice what he says in verse 14. Moses isn't just concerned with his own spiritual life. He's also concerned with the people around him. Look at what happens. And he said to the elders, verse 14, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are here with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. I like that about Moses. Moses is like, hey, God's calling me. Peace out. I got, I got, I got time with God. Don't bother me. He realizes that there's all these people who he's responsible for. He says, listen, I got to go. I'm taking Joshi with me. Aaron and her are here. If anything goes on, they're in charge. I like that. He's following through. He's taking care of business. Good leaders do this. Good leaders take care of people even as they go on errands 
for God and with God. So don't miss that. Oftentimes in our selfish culture, we like to use our relationship with God to keep us from responsibility. Oh, I'd love to do that, but I need to fast and pray. Right? It's interesting. I was talking to a buddy of mine who was studying to be a rabbi. He's like, it's something so interesting. He's like, all the, all the daily prayers, according to the rabbis, had to be done at all the times that the kids needed to eat. I'm like, why do they do that? Like, well, the men didn't want to have to deal with the kids. I'm like, that's pretty convenient. He's like, actually, it really is. You know? And, and it was, he, was, he, was, he was in rabbinical school. He's a great guy. Cool. We've had a lot of cool conversations, but it's funny. So don't, don't use your relationship with God as an opportunity to not be responsible for your responsibilities. That's what Pharisees do. That's what Pharisees do. They, they use those things as things to block taking care of the business that God has. But Moses is taking care of the people. Aaron and her are in charge until I come back. Notice verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I would love to do a series on those four or five verses. Because this is some deep stuff. And I can get real out there mystical on you in the midst of this. I'm going to save you from some of that stuff. But there's some really cool things in here. Notice first. Notice first that God was in the midst of a cloud, which means that part of the presence of God is undefined for us. When you think, I mean, listen, we know clouds, right? We live here in Washington state. We do clouds, right? Clouds are not crystal clear skies. They actually obscure things. And part of the way God works in our lives is to keep certain things undefined. That there is a mystery involved to it. That's the big failing of Christianity in the West based on the Enlightenment, like systematic theology. I'm a big fan of systematic theology. But everyone's trying to put everything about God in a nice little neat scientific box. And guess what God does when you try and stick him in a box? He pops the top off. He breaks through the sides. Because God is not something to put in a nice little neat box and wrap a bow on it. He's God. And we need to maintain in all of our theological boxing that we like to do, we need to maintain a holy sense of mystery because God still exists in a cloud. There's part of what God is doing that we will never understand, yet we keep asking him to help us understand. It's such a fascinating picture. It's a cloud. But not only that, look at what happens. He tells Moses to go up and does God show up on time? The answer is no. The cloud covered Mount Sinai for six days and the glory of the Lord rested there for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud. That means that Moses had to hang around in the glory of God, in the cloud for six days before God started talking to him. Now, that's hard for us, isn't it? Because we got schedules. We got places we need to be. We're very important people. And if you don't update your Facebook status at least four times a day, something's obviously wrong. 
Sometimes God is hidden on purpose. And one of the hardest things we have in our culture is that because we're used to everything immediate, if God does not speak immediately, we think we're forsaken when sometimes God waits to see if we're really ready. You would think that God called him up. He's going to get it done. Moses is going to be back in a couple of hours. It takes six days for God to start talking and Moses is there for 40 days and 40 nights. This is not like a quick process. It's not like an, an outpatient surgery. You go in, you're out and home in two hours. This takes some time to happen. This takes some time. And your relationship with God is the same way. God is not always going to speak to you just because you want to hear his voice. Because God knows that hiddenness sometimes gets us farther than manifestation. And sometimes God makes you wait. Because waiting is healthy. It reminds us that it's on God's timetable and not our own. I know that there's some of us in here right now, you're struggling in your relationship with God because God has you waiting and you want to be going. But be okay to, if God summons you like he summoned Moses to the mountaintop, he might not speak right away. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that God is more concerned with the process than we are concerned with the outcome. Listen, you gals who've had children, you know when you get pregnant, you're just like, you're excited. You just can't wait to see that baby, but it still takes nine months. And no matter how, uh, me and Lynn were talking about this just the other day. She's like, oh, I remember when, remember when I was eight months pregnant with Maranatha? I just was, I felt like such a whale. You know what I mean? And I guess you ladies know how that feels. I, I wouldn't know, but you know. You know what I mean? It's like, but you just, I just want this baby out. But things happen in their own time. And you can't rush perfection. And that's the way God works. But we live in an impatient culture, don't we? We live in a culture that says, if God doesn't speak to you in two seconds, then maybe God isn't there. And a lot of us have bought that. It takes, even though the glory is there, the cloud is there, Moses is hanging out up there because God asked him to be there, God still didn't speak for six days. And then on the seventh day, God started to speak. Notice what happens. Notice what happens. In verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses is up there in the cloud, and the people who are watching it looks terrifying. A consuming fire was not something that you wanted to go run into. It was something that you run away from. Imagine seeing Mount Hood on fire on a clear day. That's what it looked like. God's glory was like a fire that was consuming the mountaintop, and Moses is hanging out up there. Don't miss, I mean, you can realize how mystical people can get really into this stuff. But you see what's going on here. The presence of God, when God really shows up, oftentimes does not look like somewhere that a lot of people want to be. Don't miss that. But Moses is right in the middle of it. And notice what happens, verse 18. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. Now, don't miss 40 days and 40 nights, obviously, is a biblical idiom. We know it, it rained in the flood for 40 days, for 40 nights. Pops up in a lot of different places. 
But from here, Moses on the mountaintop, starting in chapter 25, going to the end of the chapter, you're going to get God giving Moses absolutely specific details about how he wants the people to worship him. Every single piece of furniture, how it's to be made, its dimensions, every single curtain, how it's to be stitched, what kind of, what kind of metal he wants for the grommets, what kind of poles he wants. Every single detail Moses is going to get while he's up on this mountain in the presence of the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to close with this here. I believe God wants us in the presence of his glory that is a consuming fire. Because in the presence of God's glory, we died to ourselves and we are made alive and conformed into the image of Christ. You cannot be you and conformed into the image of Christ at the same time. It's not possible. You cannot fill to overflowing an already full cup. It has to be first emptied so that God could fill. And I believe God wants each one of us in his presence, letting him empty us of ourselves so that he can fill us up and overflow us with him. But don't, don't miss it. That's in the consuming fire. But that fire is a refining fire and we come out the other side better than when we got in there. And we should be okay with that because that is how God changes people. He doesn't change you because I just decided I want to be different. He changes you because he burns off the stuff that binds you. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were dropped into that fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, they were in there, three guys. When they came out, Nebuchadnezzar saw four guys in there, one like the son of God. When they came out, they didn't smell like smoke. They weren't singed at all. But you know what was missing? The things that they were bound by when he sent them in. The only thing that changed about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of that fiery furnace is that when they left, the things that were binding them were gone. And that's what happens in the presence of the Lord in the consuming fire. The only thing that changes about you is the things that hold you back from him are gone. So if you're here today and you want to be a conqueror, you want to be an overcomer, you want to take those next steps with Jesus, you need to step into the fire with Jesus where his glory is. You'll suffer loss, but the things that you lose are the things that you never wanted anyway, the things that held you back, the things that held you down. And he'll set us free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Jesus is real. God is powerful, greater than anything we can imagine. He's bigger than what we can fathom. His majesty is beyond comprehension. And yet, he loves us. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that God knows what's best. We may want to hear from him and even see him, but could we really handle that? God does reveal himself to us, but in small ways, in the exact manner we need and can handle. You can trust him in all things. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. 
Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you. And that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Today's message ended Pastor Daniel's series called Sinai. This portion of Exodus was the beginning of the Israelites' new life following an incredible escape from the Egyptians. Israel needed to learn how to trust the God who had rescued them, the same God who promised to take them to a new land. What they learned and the laws they were given are a great picture of how God desires his people to still know and live out today. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.